At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello and welcome back to When in Romance, where we get to talk about romance novels, people who write them, people who read them, people who love them, and sometimes people who don't quite do the right thing with them. I Mm. am Jess. And I am Trisha. And we're recording on Thursday, June 23rd. It really feels like it's been longer than two weeks, and I don't know why, but I'm really glad that we're back. I am too. I'm so happy to talk with you. I uh, spent a lot of my day watching Paw Patrol and a little bit of PJ Mask. Side note, you all can keep your Avengers universe, like cinematic universe. I need someone to explain to me the Paw Patrol cinematic universe, because I'm pretty <laughs> sure I saw... A Paw Patrol episode today that was like twice as long as a normal episode, and there was a meteor, and there were like superpowers. My four-year-old nephew was trying to explain it to me. I could not follow it. I don't... Is it like a TV movie of Paw Patrol? I don't understand. (laughs) All of that to say, I realize that it's not what this podcast is about, so I apologize, but I am new to the Paw Patrol universe, so if anyone can talk me through it, please don't hesitate to let me know. Anyway, that's not what this podcast is about. Jess, how is it going? It's going. Yeah. It, you're not it, <laughs> you're not uh deeply immersed in the the noggin uh universe of of cartoons. No. No, although I am fascinated by your new exploration and look forward to you discovering more about the existence of the Paw Patrol cinematic universe. I mean, listen, I will report back. But getting back into what this show is actually about, a quick note, we mentioned this on our last episode, BookRiot is still hiring a digital marketing manager. The position is at bookriot.com slash join us. I will try to stick a link in the show notes. It is a remote position, but the job listing does have the specific jurisdictions. And BookRiot is an equal opportunity employer, and it's especially looking for applications from individuals from marginalized communities. So take a look if it seems like it's the right fit then great. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, speaking of things that this podcast is about that are not tiny dogs that fight crime, huge thanks to Vanessa, who validated my experience of not wanting to finish Red, White, and Royal Blue. Again, many, many people love this book. Actually, Annika, who is um, one of our Book Riot friends, validated it sort of immediately. It is one of her absolute favorite romances ever. And she was like, I have read it enough for both of us. It is fine. So (laughs) many thanks to the outpouring of of folks who are like, it's okay. Not every book has to be for every person. So thank you all. And I'm just going to jump in. Speaking of Red, White, and Royal Blue, It's been in the news for a couple different things recently. So if you haven't heard, there is going to be a film adaptation and they announced the people who are going to be playing Henry and Alex. I am sure that there are some people who find men attractive, who find these actors attractive. And I am very much looking forward to the existence of this movie for those people. Um, And (laughs) the other thing- That sounds like doing a lot of work, Jess. 
I don't know if we have time to unpack it all today, given my Paw Patrol uh, diatribe, but someday we will return to the, the news of the Red, White, and Royal Blue adaptation and your feelings about it. Someday. The other thing is that it's been announced that uh, Casey McQuiston went back in and made some changes to a few pop culture references. So, the and there was also a reference to a geographic location that was updated as well good on the publishers and for Casey um, for making those changes um, after some feedback. So yeah, I just wanted to jump in because that made me think about it. It doesn't need to be a big news item, but yeah, of course, just so you know. Yeah, nope, that's super helpful. If I can find a link about that stuff, which I think you actually dropped one in our Slack, I will link to it so that you can have a little more information and dig a little deeper if you are interested. Mm -hmm. We did get some other feedback. We saw an email or two on folks who sent in their favorite book so far of 2022. Feel free to keep those coming. We didn't have uh, time on this episode to get to those, but we will probably the next episode or two. And we did see a couple, gosh, like maybe three or four episodes from folks. Episodes. <laughs> Good job, Trisha. Uh, what did we see? Three or four emails. 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 Thank you. <laughs> that is the correct word. Like I said, spent all day with preschoolers about different topics that people are interested in. And we will keep an eye on those for taking a look over the summer and seeing how we can shape our episodes. So huge thanks to folks who sent those in as well. Jess, do you want to do a quick sort of PSA for folks who might like you be on, on the Twitter sphere these days? Yes, it has come to our attention. Well, it came to our attention a while ago, but it's it's been long enough that this is the first time we've been able to talk about it, that there are still people on various social media sites telling you that an easy way to read a lot and not spend a whole lot of money is to spend your various ebook platforms that are not connected to libraries, like a library. Get the book, pay for it, read it, and return it. We are encouraging you to not do that. Mm -mm. I am more than encouraging you. I am telling you. We are ordering you not to do that. Yeah, please. I'll say it politely, but I will say don't. Just don't. Don't. Yeah. And tell your friends. If anybody's like, did you know you could do this? Tell them also, don't do that. And, you know, we all are looking for ways to spend less money. You can always use an actual library if you have access to one. But please do not use paid platforms like a library by buying a book and returning it after you've read it. Now, this is not about books that have tremendous errors that you bought by accident or right, sure. that um, you have a valid reason for returning. This is for a book that you enjoyed and you read and you returned because guess what? The author takes a hit every time you do it. And not just even like a, I'm not making this money. It's like they have to pay money because mm -hmm. i really this is one of those things that might feel like a victimless crime if you're like well amazon is such a big giant corporation and blah 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 what is jeff bezos he's going to space what does he care if i return this book yeah no jeff bezos doesn't care you are correct because jeff mm -hmm. bezos is not losing any money nor is amazon as a company and many many there's no such thing as victimless crime obviously right because like there are many workers for amazon that get impacted by a lot of behaviors but i can understand the idea of being like listen 
I'm broke right now. I really want to be able to read books. And this is a huge corporation that can absorb the expense. The problem is so many of these authors are not making a living on selling books, right? They are small businesses and most of them have other jobs. And for Mm -hmm. them to have to pay for their own book so that you don't have to or any reader doesn't have to uh, is kind of sucks. So, and I think one of those things, if you don't know, then you don't know. So that's mostly the thing is that we just wanted people to know that you might be seeing this sort of meme or idea out amongst the internet, the TikToks and the Instagrams and whatnot. And I think it's helpful to have the background that that actually does cost authors money. Yeah, and it's not just ebooks; it's also audiobooks. And the uh, point: the authors it costs authors money, it costs narrators money, it costs producers money. So just be aware. And none of those people are yeah. None of those people are going to space. Like those are not no. That's not their disposable income level of money. So. As far as I know, listen, if there's an audiobook narrator out there who is going to space, please let me know, because it's been a while since we've done an interview. So, (laughs) all right, before we jump into what we are reading, maybe we pause and uh, thank one of our sponsors. Absolutely. Let's do that. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books. And so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players. But what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eyelin. Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increased more sus when he and Shue barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eileen for sponsoring this episode. All right, we are back. We are about to get into The Beast by Katie Robert. We have not forgotten that this is a book club episode. And I actually think it's going to be a really interesting discussion. But mm-hmm. before we do that... 
Jessica Pride, what are you reading these days? Well, I mean, for the most part, I've been reading The Beast. But I have also picked up a couple other things. And um, I will talk about one book that I have been reading incredibly slowly, which is very strange because it's not a long book. And that is Looking by Katrina Jackson. It is a book that she um, originally posted chapter by chapter on her uh, Patreon. And then after it was completed, waited a while so that uh, her patrons could have sole access to it and then published it as a book. So I've been reading, I've sort of been reading it that way almost, just like chapter by chapter, yeah. very, very slowly. And, you know, I've been enjoying it, but it's it's a novella. I'm almost like, why is it taking so long? But, you know, my brain. Um, sure. And another book that I started recently because I was just kind of hanging out and, like, needed a new audiobook is American Royalty by Tracy Livesey, and I'm so sorry, Tracy, if I have said your name incorrectly, but it is, I am really intrigued by the premise, which is basically, what if Harry and Meghan, but instead of Meghan Markle, it was Meghan the Stallion? Yes. And (laughs) I am not very far into the book, but I am excited to move forward in it. You will have to let me know how that goes because Tracy, whose last name I am now very paranoid about uh, saying wrong, is I'm a huge fan of her books. We will link to this one, of course, in the show notes. Uh, And I fell into like a weird royalty gossipy rabbit hole when the whatever the jubilation or whatever the thing was that just happened. So I had forgotten that that was coming Mm -hmm. out so recently or so soon. So you'll have to let me know how it goes. Absolutely. I, uh, my answer is a little more complicated. Here's the thing. I recently realized that there is a, my e-reader of choice, for better or worse, I will just be like very honest about it. It's not actually a Kindle, but most of my reading happens through the Kindle app on my tablet. I know that is not always great. It is what it is. I recently realized that I was 14 of 16. I think I realized I was like 12 of 16 achievements away from completing the Kindle summer challenge. Uh, and like one of the last things I had to do was <laughs> complete. So I'm now I'm now two away. But one of them was that I had to complete one of Amazon's best of books of 2021. So I went into the romance section. I was like, I've read most of huh. these. I found one that I had not read. And I was like, oh, this author pops up a lot. I'm going to start this book. And it turns out that it is terrible like oh it is, no like 80 percent. it's like one of those books where you're like oh this has this particular theme that we get a lot of requests around or it has this thing it moves very quickly there's all of these things happening and the other 20 percent is not to use the word problematic but boy oh boy uh-oh boy oh boy i'm not even gonna mention the name of it if you looked at amazon's like best of 21 romance list you could probably figure it out <laughs> so I am pretty much pretty convinced. I feel less guilty about walking away from that one than I do Mm. Red, White, and Royal Blue. Uh, So here's what I will tell you. I am actually going to be starting probably tomorrow revisiting Indigo by Beverly Jenkins. Uh, I won't go too far into it, but I am... I don't know if we talked about this. I am now doing every one or two months uh, an episode of Book Riot's All the Backlist podcast where we talk about two Mm -hmm. books. They don't have to be romance. They're, you know, my last two were not... But I am up for another episode of that that will be coming out on Friday. 
And I don't want to spoil anything, but one of the books that I am excited to talk about is Indigo. So I should probably make sure nobody's talked about it. Okay, if you get that episode on Friday and I'm not talking about Indigo, so somebody <laughs> already did. But I will mention it anyway. Uh, so that's like a, a quick little peek into my very complicated reading life this week. I feel like my life is very complicated this week, and I apologize to all of you. I mean, what is life if not complicated? You are endlessly supportive, Jess, and I am so grateful. <laughs> I do what I can. Uh, all right, here's the thing that's like medium complicated. The Beast. The Beast. Like, plot-wise, medium complicated? I don't know. Let's jump into this. I So as you guys know, this was our um, second book club pick of the year. Uh, we had gotten some requests for Menage Romance, and The Beast is certainly that. As we talked about, I feel like, and we can certainly get into this too, Jess, I feel like it fits more in the erotic romance side of things. Mm-hmm. I actually, I, I don't anticipate that you will disagree <laughs> based on the fact that we have now both read it, uh, but certainly feel free. I don't even know exactly how to give a synopsis of this book. Um, so I'm, I'm going to try and I am going to try with the caveat that I have not actually finished this book. I am about 30 pages from the end. Fair enough. I did. So yeah, so not, that's not a bragging thing. It's a like, I can validate anything that you were saying because I have read the last 30 pages. Yeah. And honestly, I am like, the fact that I want to finish this book is a very different standpoint than... A week ago, when I wasn't sure I was going to keep going. So there. there there was that. So The Beast should be able to be read standalone, but there is a lot of information that comes from both previous books in the Wicked Villains series and a separate series that Katie Robert has written called Sabine Valley. So when we come, we're kind of in the middle of this story, where Isabel shows up to talk to Gaetan and Beast, they call him Beast, because he's brutal, mm-hmm. to ask them to return to the territory that they have and i don't come like i don't know if it's like the territory of one big city or like another city i'm still trying to work that one out i Uh, my (laughs) sense is that i think it's called carver city is Mm -hmm. like if you took all of the so this wicked villain series is kind of like all of the disney movies that many of us who grew up in the 80s or 90s are familiar with it's like if you took all of those characters made them like underground crime lords and people who are very sex and kink positive and put them all in a city and they were like competing neighborhoods i that's how i was thinking of it okay that's what i thought but like i i also had like there are too many different katie roberts series running through my brain Oh, sure. I will say I have not read as many probably as you have. So maybe that is why that probably colors this particular perception for me. Because um, her Dark Olympus series is is something similar. Mm -hmm. But I think the territory is bigger. It's it's not a city. It's, it's almost like a country and a nation state or something. Mm -hmm. But anyway, back to back to Wicked Villains and the Beast. So the Gaetan and Beast were both generals in Isabel's father's operation. And she once upon a time dated each of them 
simultaneously. And she couldn't pick one, so everybody broke up. And now Isabel's father has died. Content warning for parental death from cancer. So Isabel's father has died, and her she and her sisters are kind of in charge, her sisters especially, and Isabel has come to ask the generals to return to their territory because there is an encroaching territory leader who wants to take over. So she comes to them in a neutral zone, which is a sex and kink club run by Hades, who is not the same Hades as the Hades in Neon Gods. I'm starting to see where you were getting confused. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) So I have not read that series yet. So I get it. Yep. Okay. (laughs) So this, it's, it's called the under underworld underground. I don't remember. Underworld. Yeah. Underworld. I figured it was underworld because Hades, but sure. But you know, one of one of the ways that I actually connected to it more was listening to the audio. So for some reason, I think somebody says underworld with a, enough of a rasp that it sounds like underground. Anyway, so she comes to them and is like, "I'll do anything for you to come back." And Beast is like, "Okay, two weeks, sex pact, both of us." And she says yes, because she hates it, but she is actually really into kink. Like, she is upset with herself for being into kink, but no one else really knows this. She knows that Beast and Gaetan are into kink, but she didn't express that when they were dating. So they enter into a two-week sex pact, but she has to choose one of them by the end. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So that's why, Trisha, you were saying that it very much fits into the category of erotic romance, because without the sex, there's no story. Correct. And I think it is fair to say that maybe, but I, no, I shouldn't say that because I don't want to speak for you. I will say for me, the fact that the sex was the entire story for like the first third of this book is part of what was not my favorite thing about it. Part of the reason that probably I would not have continued reading it if we were not reading it for this book club. Mm-hmm. I think, I wonder, one of the things that I wonder about a little bit is that, so I felt a lot like this book gained so much more dimension and plot and things that were interesting, like about a third of the way through. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, I don't know, one of the things that I kind of wonder about erotic romance is that is do you have to put so much of and and this is genuinely a question i'm not like sarcastically answering katie robert knows much more about writing erotic romance than i do Mm -hmm. what i am wondering is if and actually i'd be interested if in what you think about the neon gods like do you have to put this much of the focus on the sex and the sexual relationship up front to kind of establish that that's what it is and establish that that's what the plot is around or is that just the way that Katie approached this particular book? I think I can say that this is very much a Katie thing because you're totally right. I got through, I got to the end of chapter six and was like, I might have to talk about the fact that I DNF'd this book. Yeah. Ever, like I, and I, I, for those of you listening, I messaged Trisha and was like, I'm not sure about this, bud. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was disappointed with myself because I love Katie Robert, right? But there was something about our introduction to these characters. And it might be because they have been introduced in other books, or it might just be because of the way that the story is established, that the sex and the kink and the shame and the frustration and the anger all comes first. Yeah. And I was, I realized as it progressed and as I started listening to the audiobook on two times speed instead of trying to read it, that I need an emotional connection. Even if there is more sex than anybody could possibly handle happening, I need to have some kind of emotional connection to the characters and the reason that they should be together and can't be together right now. And that didn't happen, like you said, until like a third of the way through the book is when all of that, all of those feelings, capital F feelings really started to happen. Because at first it was just like, I was really worried that this was going to be a significantly heavier, dubious consent issue sure, than yeah. it turned out to be. Because Isabel really didn't want to be there at the beginning. And I was feeling that hard. I was like, why is this happening? Everybody hates what's happening. And then it was like, oh, there's there's anger and frustration being expressed by the people who were essentially scorned and double-crossed by this woman. But we don't know that until like chapter 10. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, so I think I think yeah. that there are ways to do this without having the sex up front the way that Katie does it. But I was watching, oh, it was a conversation between her and Beverly Jenkins. It was great. I'll see if I can find the link. Ooh, yeah. And she was talking about her newest book. She was experimenting with having the sex start at like 40% in instead of 10% in, which was very different for her. So like, I think even going in, because this was this was fairly recent. So going into the beast, thinking about that quote, it was like, oh, they're just going to get down to it. But also nobody wants to get down to it. So how is this going to work the rest of the way? But it figured itself out. Yeah, well, and I think you make an interesting point, Jess, because I think so this book is, for those who haven't read it, it is first-person alternating narration. So you get some perspective from Isabel, you get some from Gaetan, and you get some from the Beast. And I think a lot of the early chapters were hers. And mm-hmm. I think she's, I think in some ways this is actually super smart and interesting because she's a very unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. Because she's super, she's actually very interested in kink. And for as much as she's sort of like, I don't want to be here, this feels terrible, it's because she's gotten her heart broken and not necessarily because she's uncomfortable with the, you know, sex pact that they have made. Side note, uh, the fact that you described this as like two weeks sex pact, four words. Every like I was like, how do I explain the fact that they've decided that they are going to have like a BDSM sort of relationship and two of the like uh, two weeks sex pact. Done. But anyway, I think I do think it's interesting that like it's I don't even think that it's that the sex comes so 
fast. Uh, this is a compl- I don't know how we're. I don't know that we're going to keep our non-explicit rating on this episode. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily that the the sex happens so early and so frequently and in such a kind of you know like like you said very kink positive very not necessarily your typical scene of sex. I think it's the fact that you don't you're not necessarily getting as much of that background. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't register and maybe I missed it, but like I didn't register how into the different sort of elements of kink that she was until, like you said, chapter 10 or 12 or later, it was not clear to me that she did not, that she had what's described as like very vanilla relationships with both of these men in their previous iterations of their relationships. It like they were not communicating with each other, Mm -hmm. but to be honest, I kind of felt a little bit like they were also not communicating with the reader. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think maybe some of that was intentional. Like I said, Katie Robert is skilled enough that I think there is something to be said for an unreliable narrator. But I also think in this case, it was unreliable and unclear enough to be a little bit of a turnoff in some ways. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed this book so much more in the second half. Like, I finished this book thinking like more like, oh, I liked that book so much more now having finished it than I did like it most of the way through. Like, it was perfectly good. It's very, very steamy. <laughs> like, if that's one of the things you're looking for in romance, obviously, this that kind of book. And even, like, I thought the power dynamics were very interesting. I thought some of the familial relationships were very interesting. And I don't think you would have had to turn down the sex in order to turn up some of those elements. Yeah, totally. And it's interesting that first seven chapters took me two and a half weeks to read. And to be fair, it was like, oh, we have to talk about this book this week. I need to get it on. And also, like, I, someone had told me that they listened to it in audio and that they really enjoyed it. So I was like, well, let me see if that helps. And then the fact that I was consuming it in a different medium and also getting to the emotional connection parts... Um, sort of spurred my reading along much faster because I was, like I said, I was worried because it took me so, like, I was, it was so, I just covered my face. It was, <laughs> it was yeah. so stressful to read that first scene. And the first six chapters are basically all one scene. In, in yes. multiple meanings of the word, right? It's all things happening at one time, but they were also doing a kink scene, but it didn't seem like Isabel was on board for that kink. And you don't realize until later when they start talking about how she likes shame that it, yeah, she was enjoying herself immensely, but she wasn't actually saying that to us, the reader. So, yeah, the fact that there is so much that we're not getting from the narration that's sort of just happening in their heads without including us leads to some unbalanced enjoyment. Yeah. And I will say, like, I I actually have a, a sort of question for you about erotic romance that we'll, we'll get to, I think, in our next segment of the show about kind of that sort of kink and shame and all of that. But I will say kind of in 
you know, t- toward wrapping up my feelings about this book, I, I am very glad I read mm-hmm. it. And I would actually read other books in the series. I will say I, so I read this one as a standalone. I've read other books by Katie Robert, but not a ton. Um, and I've enjoyed them. And I would absolutely read something else by her. I would absolutely read something else in the series. But I almost think that I don't know that based on the information that I got from the characters who I know are now in the next book, mm-hmm. I don't think that there's a ton of background about these characters that we missed in the first three books. Yeah. Like, I think this is just kind of the level of depth or not, frankly, that exists in these books is about what we got. And I think, you know, it sounds like you and I are both kind of zeroing in on the same thing, that their lack of communication both among the characters, but also with between the characters or the author and the reader was a little bit of a challenge. But I also, like I said, really actually did enjoy the way that the feelings eventually did manifest themselves. The complicated power dynamics really did. Not just, not among the three characters, but among this sort of community of the Disney crime lord universe and the other one, you know, <laughs> fine. <laughs> it's, so anyway, like I said, I, I would actually absolutely read another book in this series, but I can also understand if you, if you DNF this book, uh, especially if it was in the first seven to eight chapters, totally fair. It may just not be for you, but it might be worth pushing through a few more and seeing how you feel. Because in the end, I this is definitely a book that I would give like three or four stars to. Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at the majority of Katie Roberts' writing, you have to sort of know what you're getting into. She writes dark universes, a lot of crime lords and underworld type places with complicated relationships with a lot of kink, a lot of sex positive, a lot of public sex. Like, this is just sort of what she writes on for the most part. And if you are not into BDSM, if you're not into dark romance as sort of a genre because this isn't this is this is dark light like there is definitely some significantly darker stuff out there but just like the world of modern warfare and crime and politics and and all of that stuff on top of dark personalities and sex clubs and all of those other things then for the most part, Katie Robert isn't going to be for you. And you just have to know that and stop trying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, this, um, once you get into like the characters and like, I, I know that I have a podcast compatriot here in Arizona, whose name is also Jess. And we, we're kind of like two nice. sides on one coin. She is like, if there isn't a whole lot of amazing, hot, smoky sex in a book, I don't want it. And I'm like, sometimes I don't notice if there's no sex, as long as their relationship is amazing. So you just sort of have to know which one you're looking for. Because sometimes, especially in books like this, one is going to almost overpower the other until a certain point. Fully agree. And I think, yeah, I think we're going to get more into some of the specifics around sexy romance, erotic romance, etc. in a minute. But let's pause in the meantime and thank another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. 
No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid-back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be, right? Right, girl, like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series. Miss Wong, got it going on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. All right, Jess, you are the person who sort of brought to my attention the fact that there might be some uh, in a shocking turn of events there might be some misconceptions out in the world around what is just like very steamy romance what is like the next step which is erotic romance and what is then full-on erotica which is kind of the step after that and i think like we've mentioned that the beast fits in that middle category but knowing now how you've had to educate uh, the users of TikTok, <laughs> would you mind doing a quick explanation for those who might be a little bit out of their depth here? Absolutely. So I saw I this comes from a conversation I was having with a friend on TikTok who sent me a video that was incredibly well done, breaking down steamy and, and like the various levels of that individual person's desires. But there was a little bit of misconception about actual terms. So I thought that I would break them down. Um, so you've got steamy or sexy romance, which is romance that has some amount of sex. It could be several scenes. It could be one really good scene. But if you take that scene, that sex scene out, the story just it can continue to plot along. It can be a fade to black. It could not happen. And the story could be exactly the same, not influenced at all. And then you've got erotic romance. And like we talked about with the beast, there is some element of the sex that is required for the progression of the story. In the beast, it was 
the two week sex pact. Um, in other stories, it could be something similar. It could be, it could be kink related. It could be just like sex to get it out of our system kind of story. Um, you know, it could be any of those, but the, sure. <laughs> right? Yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> yeah. But the sex plays an important part in the plot. And um, if you take out the sex scenes, you don't really have a good connective plot. And then, my friends, we have erotica. And I know a lot of people use the word erotica to in reference to something like the Beast, which mm-hmm. is not incorrect, but it isn't quite correct. Because erotica is technically its own thing. It doesn't have to have a plot beyond the sex. Like, that is all that's happening. Erotica can be a short story or a full-length novel. All that's happening is sex. And it definitely doesn't require a happy ending. It can be people meeting for a night and then going about their separate ways. It can be a really complicated relationship and then they go their separate ways. <laughs> like, yeah. the biggest, most important thing about the overarching erotic category is the fact that it does not have a required happy ending. That is erotic romance. Um, so erotic romance can fall under the erotic category, but not the other way around. I think that was very helpful. And it was helpful for me because I wanted to make sure that I had like a good handle on this. And I I feel like we're going to talk a little bit about some of the books that I think mostly we've talked about before to kind of give people a sense for exactly what we're talking about. But also, I think there are some books that are kind of knocking right up against the line, Mm -hmm. right? Like, in our show notes, I have the Eastside Brewery series by Mia Hopkins, which we've talked about before. That's the thirsty, trashed, tanked. I think those books sit on the sexy romance, right? Like, the like not quite erotic, just like very, very steamy side, mm-hmm. like kind of that first category we talked about. Because there's a ton of sex in those books, but they, it's not, you still very much have a plot outside of the sex. Mm-hmm. I feel like A Lot Like Adios by Alexis Daria is a similar, not maybe not quite as, they're they're very, very steamy, but maybe like they're a little longer. And so like the steam gets distributed in a different way. I don't know. Uh, but especially A Lot Like Adios, like these are two people who it's a second chance romance. And so they are jumping right back in very quickly. Like the, the speed at which they uh, hit the sheets, I guess I would say, is part of kind of that calculus but in both of those cases so a lot like adios um in particular by alexa staria and east side brewery series by mia hopkins the most recent book is tanked i would categorize both of those as just being very sexy romance yeah and the first ones that i thought of were um spoiler alert and all the feels by olivia dade because they have very rich outside plots. And then there are very sexy moments that might impact the story, especially because they have plus size characters who may or may not have certain feelings about their own physical appearance and the fact that they can have just as amazing sex. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> With these uh, giant, beautiful men. Um, so there is that element. But if you take out the story or, or you take out the sex where it fades to black, everything still progresses in the same way. Because it's more about their emotional connection than anything else. And I think that's an interesting distinction, Jess, because when I was thinking about the erotic romance books that I would sort of specify, I was also thinking about books in which the sex is very relevant, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily relevant in the same way as the Olivia Dade books. It's not exactly like a, this is what the social construct has showed me that I need to feel or should feel, or this is how my feeling... I mean, I guess in some ways it is. I was looking at, like, syncopation. I don't think I've mentioned Anna Zappo in months. <laughs> so it is time to bring them back into the podcast. Uh, I was thinking of syncopation because there are two characters who are trying to figure out kind of where they are in terms of not so much sexuality, but kink. Um, one of the characters is aromantic. So what does that look like for him? Like, it's a... It, it To me, that feels a little bit like a perspective on yourself and your sexuality in a slightly different way than the Olivia Dade books, which is why I stuck it in, in this category. The other one that I was thinking about... So, anyway, Syncopation is a... It's the first book in the Twisted Wishes series. It is two guys in a band. Uh, there has been a little bit of a history between the two of them. <laughs> and there is kind of this element of there's no way to make this work because one of these people is aromantic and... You know, spoiler alert, it does work. Uh, (laughs) Which you know, because even as an erotic romance, um, at least I would categorize it that way. As Jess said earlier, there does have to be a happy ending. Mm -hmm. And I would put A Gentleman in the Street in the same category. That's by Alicia Rye. It's one of her, I I think one of her earlier books. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's one of her books that at least started out being self-published, indie published. And it's another book where the two characters have this history And part of what at least one of them perceives to be keeping them apart is that Akira assumes that Jacob, who is her, I think, stepbrother, they are not uh, related by blood. I do think they are maybe somehow related by marriage. At any rate, she is very into the kink scene. She hosts orgy, might be the right word. She hosts sex parties of some kind Mm -hmm. uh, at her home on a regular basis. And she thinks, like, there is no way that he could potentially be interested in this. And a lot of the story revolves around not just that aspect of the relationship, but but others, but also kind of them figuring out what that kind of sex life means for them, right? Like, what is what are they comfortable with? What are they not? Which is part of the reason, in addition to the, like, four or five chapter long orgy scene, uh, that would make me suggest that A Gentleman in the Street would also be... An erotic romance. Yeah. And, you know, just like a vaguely side-ish note, that was the first multiple gender book that I remember reading where the man was like, maybe I'm not straight. And, like, it was like, oh, that that, that happens in books. That's good to know. Um, I have to tell you, what brought this book to my attention was friend of ours, Sarah Wendell of Smart Bitches Trashy, or Smart Bitches Trashy Books, recommending this book on NPR. <laughs> and I remember reading it later and being like, you go, Sarah. Good mm-hmm. for you. That's awesome. But yeah, it was, I totally agree. It was, uh, it was different from anything I had read at that time. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you know, one of the like historic, not historic, because that that f- makes me feel like I'm talking about someone who wrote like 50 years ago, but <laughs> the like queens of erotic romance that we just don't talk about much anymore and enough or at all really is Tiffany Rice. And she also wrote in like the 2000s, maybe in the late 90s. I can't, I can't remember when they started to pop up really. Um, Some pretty kinky stories. But the one, the one that I always end up thinking about is The Rose. And that one I would classify as an erotic romance because the main character ends up with this ancient chalice that you drink from and you have fantasies. And since it was produced by a deity whose main thing is love and sex, most of the fantasies are sex fantasies. Um, but there's also like a random little hangout in a marsh or something but it's mostly sex um but there's also like a relationship that's building out but it's built out by him going on her sex fantasies with her um so you really can't can't have the story without the sex fantasies so i'm pretty sure that counts i think so too yeah and um, the last one that actually, much like Eastside Brewery books, toes the line, is the entire Beards and Bondage series uh, yep. by Rebecca Weatherspoon. But I was particularly thinking about Harbor because yeah. it it has a lot of that emotional development, the grief and the sadness and the frustration and the anger. But we get that first and then the three of them really come together and decide to see what it's like sexually for them to be together and that's their that's their main goal so that's why yeah. i thought it fit on the other side of the erotic line because they really have focus they're they're focused on sex even though they really they want to see how they work as a closed triad, but it's more about the sex when they start out. So, yeah, totally fair. And I think I will say I, I don't want to speak for you. I will say I have not read a ton of erotica. I have probably the main erotica that I have read is, I would guess maybe the best-selling erotic novel of all time, which is The Claiming of Sleeping Beauty, written by Anne Rice, but writing as A N. Rooklauer? I have no idea how to say name. it. I apologies, <laughs> Anne and your family. Um, first published in the early 80s, this is essentially a Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> this is how the Goodreads description describes it. It's Anne Rice's retelling of Sleeping Beauty, if the prince awakens beauty not with a kiss, but with sexual initiation. So uh, you can imagine what that means. And the rest of the book is basically that. I will say, if you are not at all comfortable with any dubious or non-consensual sexual activity. This is not the book for you. It is. I would I would poke around a little bit and see what this book actually entails before reading it. But I, yeah, I would guess, I don't know for sure. I would guess that this is probably the best known mm-hmm. erotic novel of ever. 
Yeah. Like I, um, it's, it's funny because a book club that I am sort of cursorily in decided that they were going to read that for their summer book because they wanted steamy. And so oh, I decided, wow. I decided to read the Goodreads reviews and it, the, it's a mess in there because it's either one star or five stars, almost nothing in between. So yeah, that's a boy. That's if you decided you wanted steamy, I feel like there's you jumped past steamy beyond the yeah 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 the boiling hot lava of yeah yeah we'll see how that goes yeah um and you know there are other erotica authors whose names are relatively familiar even if we have never picked up any of their books like Anais Nin is probably one of the other famous names even though I have never actually read her stuff her name is the first one that will always pop up when I think of erotica. Her books are always in the erotica section at the bookstores that I go to. So um, I imagine that she would be considered a classic author. And then there's authors like Zane. Zane has written a lot of books and has very often been miscategorized as a romance author because people know that her books have sex and therefore, they must be romance. But she writes a lot of stories in which there is not a central love story and there is not a happily ever after. There is just people banging. So, yeah. I mean, and that is great for people who want that. So, <laughs> absolutely. But, you know, it's erotica, not erotic romance. So, yeah, there's. There are little details, and then there are really big details that make the difference, I think. Yeah. Boy, oh boy, this is going to be an episode where it's very interesting to see how our rating shakes out and also <laughs> how our show title shakes out. Because I have, like, nine options. I don't know yeah. that we can publish any of them. So we'll find out. We'll find out. <laughs> is it like like the film rating where it has, like... How many times do you say a word? Because if the word is sex, then yeah, we're we're be far beyond. Oh yeah, no, uh, that's that's <laughs> that's the great thing about being freelance. Good <laughs> luck, Book Riot editorial team. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, actually, they are wonderful, and we are super grateful for that. Yes. Uh, so yeah, who knows? <laughs> who knows how that will shake out? Uh, but I think we can we can close by saying, let us know. It, are there any of the books that we talked about that you think we maybe put in the wrong? Ooh, I was gonna say slot, but I am gonna go with category. Are there erotica authors that we did not cover? Um, fully acknowledging that we don't read a ton of that. Uh, what did you all think of the Beast? Are we right? Wrong? Same, different, etc. And do feel free to keep letting us know what your best of books are for 2022 so far, because we are going to get to that within the next episode or two. And we are excited about it. Absolutely. I don't know, Jess, what am I missing? What else do we want to hear from people? Um, you know, any, any thoughts you have that we can do something about, um, send them to us. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but otherwise, um, just keep listening, keep reaching out if you have thoughts. We didn't, well, I know I didn't ask people for their thoughts about the beast ahead of time. So we'd love to hear your thoughts. 
after the conversation. And if you decided to keep going, especially after you heard us talk about whether or not we wanted to keep going. You know, we did mention it on the show multiple times and didn't really get feedback this time around, which I wonder if is indicative of people's reactions. So I don't know. I would be interested to learn more about what you all think of that. Yes. And as always, you can send all of those thoughts and and any criticisms or validations as as is helpful to us at wenandromance at bookriot.com. I have been on sort of an accidental Instagram break, but I am back now at Trisha Haley Brown. Jess, where can people find you? I am on Twitter all the time at Jess's Reading, all one word. I am on Instagram only a little bit less often at Jess underscore is underscore reading. And you can find my nifty TikTok stuff at Jess underscore is reading because why be able to keep up with your, uh, your trend? I don't know. You're doing great. And I support you. <laughs> Another person who's doing great is our wonderful, patient, and almost definitely magical audio editor, Jen Zink. So huge thanks to Jen as well. Please do rate and review the podcast. It is how people find us. And in the meantime, happy reading. <laughs>